Hello everyone, I'm Staff Sergeant Rachel Simonis and I'm today's host for this episode of Beyond the Horizon, a podcast produced by the Ohio Air National Guard's 178th Wing in Springfield, Ohio. Today's guest is a sensor operator whose identity will remain undisclosed to maintain the safety and security of this mission set. You're going to hear about the unique aspects of being aircrew for a remotely piloted aircraft. All right, let's get started. Um, If you could just talk about what the main duties of a sensor operator are and kind of define what that means for our audience. Sure. Uh, So primarily, a sensor operator uh, is a camera operator uh, for the most part. Um, We operate a a large intelligence array um, and the, the main camera is called the multi-spectral targeting system. So it's a camera and a couple different lasers. Um, and then we have, uh, we actually have different, um, different types of cameras. Um, so we can see in like just normally what you're thinking about as a camera, as well as like infrared and stuff like that. So we can track things at night. Um, once we're able to find uh, targets, we provide the terminal guidance for uh, um, weapon systems if they choose to strike those targets. Um, or if not, we do uh, what's called uh, overwatch. So like if they want to uh, do a raid or something like that and they want to collect intelligence or, or anything like that, it's our job to uh, you know follow people, um, build like an intelligence network, stuff like that, um, and uh, have the highest possible quality the the entire time while we're sitting in the seat um so that's that's primarily the 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 mission set uh in a nutshell but um so like our day-to-day stuff um there's a uh there's a lot of things that are required of us that are not like mission specific so um we have to come in and make sure like our currencies and and everything are up to date uh we have events um every month we have tons of events that we have to do and stay on top of stuff because if we go a while without firing a missile they want to make sure that we're you know we're still good at it considering how much they cost and and what's at stake as well you know um and uh we we do a lot of the briefs um so every brief that the pilots do we're part of it um because we're essentially like a team you know it's like partners um and my job is to make sure the pilot looks good and the pilot's job is to make sure that I look good. Um, so we kind of have to have each other's back. So we'll, we'll brief together so we can get in each other's heads and kind of know where to steer one another um, prior to a mission. Uh, and there, there's a lot of stuff um, when it comes to that career field. That's why it's a very new career field and they're having trouble defining our um, uh, training curriculum because every day it seems like they're adding something new to us and with like the nature of um, uh, global conflicts we're oftentimes asked to do something that has never been done and it's kind of up to us to figure out how to do it and and make it look good and 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 give you know whatever commander ground commander uh, you know what they want um, even though we didn't even know it was possible the day before. So you definitely have to be flexible. Okay, so you kind of talked about your relationship with um, the RPA pilots and how you guys are a team. How do you think that your job as an enlisted air crew member might be different from another air crew member working on um, a manned aircraft? 
Uh, so how would my job be different than uh, other enlisted air crew? Uh, well, we're defined as combat air crew. Um, so some other, um, we're, we're inside the kill chain. Um, a lot of enlisted air crew are not like uh, load masters and um, are like uh, boom operators and stuff like that. Uh, so the, I, I would say the big difference is the terminal guidance. Um, so once, once the pilot fires a missile, once it comes off the wing, that, that missile is now my baby, you know, and I have to make sure that it is going to hit what we plan on it hitting, you know? Um, so that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, I don't, I don't see too many differences besides that fact. Um, they're all still part of their, their briefs, you know, and they're experts in the systems that, that they're supposed to have and anything as when you're air crew, you know, everything's related to that, to that airplane and everybody plays a part of either a successful mission or a non-successful mission. And everybody kind of shares the blame when stuff goes bad. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's probably just off the top of my head, probably the biggest difference I can think of. Okay. And, um, it seems pretty obvious, but how do you think that what you guys are doing every day um, with your mission set, how does that affect the overall Air Force and its initiatives? Oh, uh, so I would say that it greatly enhances it. Um, so to put it in perspective, right, uh, with the MQ-9, the that's the primary RPA for the Air Force now since we've, we've gotten rid of the, the MQ-1. Uh, for the most part, there's some contractors that are still flying it and stuff. But as far as combat missions and stuff, it's the MQ-9. And our ability to to loiter and to provide real-time uh, ISR, uh, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance, to ground commanders um, of our sister services or coalition forces um, is just unparalleled. Um, other aircraft can't stick around as long as we can. Um, so we can provide the intelligence necessary to build long lasting, uh, networks, uh, when we're trying to figure out, you know, who is working with who and it, it's all raw data, which is, so we essentially collect that and then it gets, uh, disseminated to, you know, the analysts and stuff. And they try to figure out who's working with this network and who's working with that. And that that's paid dividends as far as, you know, the war on terror is concerned. Um, our ability to stick around um, is huge as a ground force commander, you know, would say if you were responsible for 50 guys that you were getting ready to send out, you know, um, would you like to have a bird's eye view of them or not? You know, there's not a single ground force commander that would say no to that. Um, so the way that we fight warfare now with it being, you know, there's hardly any front lines anymore. Um, so having that flexibility, uh, it's not something that we can, now that we have it, it's not something we can get away from. So we're, I would say the Air Force in general is highly dependent upon what it is that we do now, specifically um, because of the, of the type of conflicts that we're in. Yeah, and I think it's important that can be, um, you know, misperceived sometimes, but not only are you guys... Um, deterring terrorism, but you're really saving 
our guys and keeping an eye out for them on the ground, which I think is crucial to, you know, preserving our own force and not just counterterrorism, but also keeping that in mind. Yeah. I mean, the real the real end goal of going going in there in any operation, um, it's it's not to to take lives, it's to save lives, you know, um, it would, it would be, <laughs> you know, it'd be counterintuitive to think about it the other way. Um, but if I can go in and I see, you know, um, uh, American operators that are with a host, host nation, um, commandos or something, and they're going door to door and I have the ability to tell them, you know, Hey, there's something up ahead of you guys. You may want to stop and check it out. And, you know, it turns out it could be an IED or something like that. And they're able to go around it or detonate it somehow without driving into it. You know, and those are the days, you know, I, I leave and I'm that there's a couple of people that get to go back home to their family because I was doing what I did. You know, um, that's probably the the best part of, of what it is that I do, you know, to be actually be able to see that. And, you know, they, they don't know me. They can't call me up and say, hey, thanks, man. But, you know, I, I know I did that. And I guess that's what, you know, matters to me. So we kind of talked about this a little bit, you know, about what how you guys do at a wing level plays into larger Air Force initiatives. But how does your career field as a sensor operator really showcase that the Air Force is innovative. Um, seems like you guys are extremely dynamic and you're constantly facing unique and new threats. Um, so how do you see what you do as innovative to the military as a whole? So if we go back not, not too far in the, in the, in the past here, um, there was a conflict in Afghanistan. Um, you may have heard of it. It's called Roberts Ridge. It was the first time an RPA had struck in a uh, combat zone, and uh, it, it was uh, uh, it was an MQ one, and the the guys on the ground um, that had that aircraft in the stack above them, they were very hesitant to let in their eyes essentially a robot, you know that that's what they were calling them at the time too, <laughs> uh, to to strike while they had guys on the ground. So they called them and they pointed out a bush to them and they said, if you guys can hit this bush, we'll put you into the fight. And that's what ended up happening. They fired the missile. They hit that. They proved to the guys on the ground. Um, and since that day, it snowballed to where there's not a conflict that we're involved in where it, it's not RPAs. It's it's 75% RPAs in the sky, some bombers and some uh, fighters. Uh, we're everywhere now. And we were ahead of the curb. We had that. We had we had the aircraft. We had people trained on it before ground forces were even comfortable with them in the air above them. You know, we were doing that. And we're the dominant uh, aircraft in the inventory in combat zones now. Um, if you if you look at the total strikes statistically, um, as far as precision guided munitions. Um, we're the, we're the highest. Um, there's no other platform that has, that can operate in so many mission sets that we do. And I think that's another, another point that validates what you asked was, um, with, with our designator, um, you know, fighters do the, do the fighter thing, bombers do the bomber thing. Um, but we do everything 
we do every mission set that any aircraft can do. So we're essentially jacks of all trade, you know, um, which is kind of difficult. Uh, you know, you have you have single seat pilots who've trained their whole life for a mission set, you know, and they're great at it. But then it comes to us and they're like, we need you to do, you know, Monday, Tuesday, we need you to do this mission set, your ISR only. Wednesday, you're going to be striking targets. Thursday, you're going to be doing maritime operations, you know, and it's a constant revolving different thing, but that just kind of shows, you know, that we, what we can do, um, which is, it's taxing. Uh, it, it can, can be taxing, you know, academically, um, mentally from time to time, you know, you get, you just get kind of pulled apart, uh, sometimes, but the fact that we keep coming back and we keep doing it and keep performing kind of shows how much we, you know, actually care about, you know, what it is that we're doing. So the, the only difference between that aircraft and any other one is that we're not actually in it, but it's not like, um, you know, we can, we obviously can't tilt the wings and look out, you know, the cockpit, uh, window <laughs> to strike targets. But when, when manned aircraft are striking targets, they're still looking through the MTS. They're still looking through their version of an MTS. So they're looking through a, the same screen essentially that I'm, I'm looking through. Um, but yeah, the, the D word there, oh, that, that, dri that drives me insane when I hear <laughs> that. Yeah. Cause it's, it's all, we're the kill chain, you know, so it's, it's all human beings and it's, and it's not us that just, we don't get to pick and choose, you know, what it is that we do or where we strike or anything like this. Um, you know, we're, we're normal people that go home in the end of the day. So it's, we want to make a, a morally, uh, um, right decision. And if anything isn't, then, then we're not a part of it. You know, we, I know my leadership well enough that if if I see anything, I can speak up. I know I can. Um, so we've made a habit of that, and we've done um, as a unit. We've done amazing, you know, compared to if you look at the history of warfare when we carpet bombing Berlin and stuff like that. We don't have to do that anymore because we put so much effort into finding the right targets and and a lot of like ethical and, 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 and moral thought goes into this stuff. So I think that's an extremely important part of hearing from you and other people in this career field because of the misperception and um, sometimes a misunderstanding of the planned precision that goes into everything that you guys do. Right. We understand the job that we need to do and it's our responsibility. Even if, like I said before, if we're asked to do something we've never done before, mm -hmm. we all know that we have to put in the effort to make sure that that's done right. It's not something that, you know, our decisions aren't based on emotions and, and, and things like that. This is, it's planned out, you know, uh, yeah, it's not at all like what I've seen. <laughs> You're here to bust the stereotypes. I, so. I love it. <laughs> okay. So to kind of transition from uh, that, you know, you talked a little bit about the stress of being in a career field that is relatively new and, um, you know, constantly changing. So how do you deal with um, the 24-7, 365 operations that can be at times, you know, mentally and emotionally taxing? How do you balance that? Well, it's, um, compartmentalization is definitely something I've had to learn um, and to not, you know, take, everyone says don't take 
work home with you. That's kind of hard to do when you, you know, you actually care about what you do, you know, because uh, I do feel invested in it. Um, <clears throat> and I've been essentially deployed in combat for seven years now. Um, yeah, pretty, essentially the entire time, you know. So what I decided to do, I guess, was, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but like hobbies, um, something that, that you need to put effort into, but something that's rewarding as well, you know, something that you can do with your hands. Um, I got really into to woodworking, but that has snowballed to the point where it's an, an entirely like autonomous company now that, that is, it's not really a hobby, but I got into like, I, I went and took uh, like culinary classes cause you know, everybody needs to eat. So I figured I should probably, you know, develop that skill, I guess. And uh, that, that's been pretty rewarding. Um, find, finding like um, uh, a skill set or something that you can develop. And at the end of the day, you can have something kind of like tangible that you can hold in your hands, you know, and you're like, I did that. And, you know, I created something of value that out of nothing, I think is huge. Um, I started doing that after my prior career field. I, I deployed a bunch of times and um, I wanted to, you know, have something to essentially keep me off of the couch and, you know, stay active. And so I did that. And then I also, um, I, I try to tactically utilize my leave in a way that I can get so far away from what it is that, you know, we do that I can kind of emotionally reset, you know? So I, I go out like camping and hiking. I try to, I always try to go like as far out as I can to where like I don't run into other people. And I don't get cell service, which is, is pretty great, you know. <laughs> and uh, th that's a good reset. And it, it gives me the time to kind of, it gives me clarity, you know, so I can I can reevaluate what's important to me and reevaluate what I want to go after when I come back and stuff and just have a more clear mind. So I try to do that about three times a year, actually, three or four times a year, but uh, sometimes more if it's one of those years. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that, that that probably helps. You have to you have to get away from a situation in order to see if it ha has value to you and if it's worth putting more effort in or if it's, you know, something that you should just cut the cord on, you know. So, um, yeah, that's that's how I go about it. How's that affect your home life or what do you do to mentally make that transition since you are going from really a combat environment back to a more normal everyday life? all in the same day. Right. Yeah, that that's a, that's kind of strange. Uh, yeah, I had a, I think last year I had a, a strike um, that was uh, uh, kind of came out of nowhere, you know, so it wasn't something I could prepare for um, beforehand. And, you know, it was a, re a relaxing mission. And then 45 seconds later, essentially, we were getting a, a missile off the rails on the wing. And then I finished the paperwork for that and I came home on mid shift and I, um, I, I stayed a little bit late and I went and, um, I was, it was Saturday. So I picked my son up and, uh, yeah. So I went from an area of like three hours or something like that from, you know, striking a target to hanging out with my kid. And yeah, it's, it's a difficult headspace, I guess, um, to kind of describe. Uh, 
but if if you take a moment to to you know look at the 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 value of what it is that you're either going to or um, or or what you're what you're leaving to you know to go into work and stuff, um, it, I suppose it puts it into perspective um, that you know this is worth doing because it provides me to have the ability to do what I do outside of here. Um, but people can harp on com- being compartmentalized all they want, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's a word, you know? Um, and you can't really describe the feeling that comes to it because these things bleed over from, from time to time. It's, it's, it's always going to happen. So I would, I would say perspective, or at least, like I said before, getting away from something long enough to kind of reevaluate, you know, what's wor- what's it really worth to you, you know? Um, it adds up. And if you don't develop habits to, to kind of clarify, you know, what you want in life and, and, and get your head straight from time to time, uh, you're, it's going to drive you crazy, you know, because <laughs> it, it's a lot to be, I mean, we've been flying 24 hours a day for, you know, years. Some days when I leave, it, it can be difficult. And then other days, you know, I, I can't drive here fast enough because I know we're doing something really cool in the back there and I want to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, it's just your own personal evaluation of the situation. If, if you don't have the drive to continually do that, then you're going to have a bad time, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess it's up to the person too, you know, but yeah, I'd say instead of harping on like compartmentalizing stuff, I'd say it'd be your personal drive and your ability to, to find, to find value in, in, in the things in your personal life that make doing that worth it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. So on the more personal note, why did you decide to join this career field? And, you know, what is it about RPAs that brought you to the career field? Oh, well, so me personally, uh, I was a, a ground troop in Iraq and I had heard a, a, a base defense strike, a, a group of um, IED emplacers outside of our base um, were struck by hellfire. And my initial thought was, I bet the guys flying that are, are eating a warm meal today at some <laughs> point. And I was like, um, I was like, I need to look into this because I was sitting in a Humvee just, you know, staring off into the sun, just, you know. I was I was ready for a change for sure, um, and uh, when I came back, I found out that the base was being realigned, and we were getting that. So I, I was like, it, it's now or never, you know. Um, so I need to use the career field that I was in as a stepping stone. Um, it had, um, I had essentially milked it for all it's worth, you know. I got the deployments, uh, the the TDYs, and the additional like. Um, uh, tech schools and stuff for all kinds of stuff. And I was, re- I was ready for a change, um, something to really just apply myself in. Um, cause I, in, in my prior career field, I didn't really have, it doesn't have like this developmental course. It's something that you eventually you, you've plateaued as far as what you can learn in that career field, you know? Um, but this one, I was like, that's something I can just dive right into. Um, so I applied and, and 
um, went over a couple times and uh, boarded and I got picked and then they told me, well, you're going to need to get a top secret uh, SCI and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> it's like I, I'm sure I have something in collections from <laughs> something like that. But it turns out I didn't. I was, it worked out. But um, yeah, I was a little nervous about it, too, because I had no idea about that kind of security clearance. It's like they're going to call teachers that I had in, in high school and stuff like this. And I was like, I know I have dirt out there. I just don't know what it is, you know, so <laughs> Um, but yeah, luckily I went through it unscathed relatively and, um, yeah, I got over here and I finally got in the bag. I'd been training for like, or I'd been through the pipeline for like, I don't know, it was about a year or so. Um, and I, I had gotten in the back and then I finally saw like real Afghanistan on that screen. This is real. Like I, I couldn't believe it. Is there anything you'd want to add about, you know, whether it's, um, being a sensor operator or, you know, the RPA mission in general, is there anything that you would want to add? Yeah, we're, we're always looking for good people. Um, and especially in the guard, um, something to think about, uh, sensor operators in the guard are manned at over 90%. Um, it kind of goes to show you the quality of life that we have. Um, not only that, but the, the, the quality of people that we work with because we're, you know, we're all packed together. We're in each other's face all the time. So we try to pick the, you know, the best people to fit that situation and, and people being honest with one another is kind of the easiest way to avoid that. So it, it's been a really good environment since I've gone over there. Everybody's upfront with me. I know what I need to do. And I, you know, for the most part, I get it done, you know, so. Yeah. It seems like having that built in support system, not only at home, but in this career field is crucial to um, having retention and just kind of surviving that shift work lifestyle. Yeah. You're always going to have attrition when something is shift work, you know, because yeah, it, it definitely takes a, a unique type of person to be able to do that. And I, I really feel I was able to do it specifically because of the mission set that we had, you know, I wanted to be there on nights because it's daytime on the other side of the world. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. And um, the amount of experience that we were able to get in the last couple of years, specifically because of the rise of ISIS and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, that's a one we're never going to see something like that or hopefully anyways, you know, for the rest of our lives. But the the RPA in general in that theater was was king. You know, it was the amount of work that we had. We were the first air guard unit to go into Syria and uh, the, um, the work that we did over there changed the tide of that war. Uh, it, 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 we sped things up specifically us. And, and, you know, I felt it was worth coming in, you know, and I wanted to see, cause it was something new every day. So that was like, I got an, an entire career's worth of excitement shoved into like two and a half, three years for that. And, you know, now things are slowing down. Uh, we get, we, we're getting a chance to breathe and I'm able to start looking at all the emails that I haven't looked at in <laughs> you know, for so long. There's food trucks from July that I'm just finding out about, but I, you know, it's all right. 
All right. Well, I think you covered all the questions I had for you, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and hopefully people listening learn something new about this career field. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Beyond the Horizon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. If you're looking for more ways to connect with the 178th Wing, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also reach us at beyondthehorizonpodcast at gmail.com with any questions you have for us or even with stories of your own. We look forward to connecting.